Quick question for everybody. It's kind of a rhetorical question because I think I already know the answer, but this is it. How many of you want to get better in 2020? Can I see your hands? We all want to get better, don't we? This coming year, we all want to grow. Well, as a theme for this year, as a church family, we have chosen, as you see at the top of your program, kind of that big picture there, the theme of grow. Because the Bible wants, tells us that God wants you and he wants me to grow. God wants you and me to grow up. So turn to your neighbor and say grow up. Grow up. Now to help us on this journey that we're going to be starting with on 2020, we have decided to start through the book of 1 Timothy. And so if you have a Bible with you, whether it's in paper or digital form, I'd love for you to turn there now, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And then for those of you who are taking notes, uh, in your program, you'll see at the top of your outline this big idea. This is kind of the theme for our conversation this morning. So if you're taking notes, write this down. And that is, spiritual maturity is demonstrated in unity and harmony or humility. Spiritual maturity is demonstrated in humility and unity. Now, church, one of the ways that you can tell if you are growing spiritually, I think, is that you will experience harmony in your relationships. You will experience a willingness, really, to kind of get along with each other. One of the ways that you can tell if, if God's working in, his, in your life is that not only will you have kind of this ability to get along with people, but you will also experience this willingness to learn from each other. You will exhibit what I call a teachable attitude. Because spiritual maturity is demonstrated in relational unity and personal humility. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So really the questions I want you to think about as we unpack 1 Timothy chapter 2 is this question. Ask yourself these questions today. Do I get along with people and am I teachable? Do I get along with people and am I teachable? Okay, so 1 Timothy chapter 2. Keep those questions in your mind. I'm going to start reading at verse 8. And this is what we read. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. That's unity. So basically, Paul, who's this kind of this early church leader, uh, he's writing this letter to Timothy, who's this young pastor in this church. And he's trying to tell Timothy, here's, what, here's some of the things I want you to know as you're trying to lead this group of people. And he's basically saying right off the get-go, he says, listen, I want everybody to pray, verse 1. But when you pray, men, especially, I want you to come together. I don't want you to compete with each other. I want you to get along with each other, recognized by unity, so free from anger and controversy, verse 9. And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly, for God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived and the sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, honesty, and modesty. Now, these are some tough verses, but really they're not. Really they're not. Church in biblical times, as most of you know, in the days and the culture in which these Bible verses, and really the Bible as a whole was written, women had a very low place in the Roman world. Do you all remember why that was? 
It's because in the days of the Roman world, and really subsequently in the days of the early church, during the times of Jesus' life, women were largely uneducated. During Jesus' era, women were largely unschooled. In biblical times, a woman's role was a traditional role. Young boys would go to school and young girls would stay at homes with their moms to kind of help out with household chores and mothering. And if you were a young boy and you demonstrated an ability to learn, then you would be invited to attend special select schools where you would receive specialized training. But listen to this. If a boy failed to demonstrate a proclivity for intellectual understanding, then he, like his sister, would be encouraged to help his parents at home with the farm or with whatever blue-collar occupation that the family practiced because education was largely reserved for the elite. Now, church, I want you to hear me very clearly. When Jesus arrived on the scene, he began to attack this cultural and religious mentality. When Jesus arrived on the scene, he was widely criticized for his actions of lifting and up and validating people who in that day and age were often considered second class. For example, Jesus was frequently accused by the religious elite as of being a friend of who? Who was Jesus known as? A friend of? Of sinners. Why? Because according to the Bible, Jesus was a guy who hung out with the riffraff of society. Jesus was someone who, the Bible describes him as someone who was notorious for spending time with tax collectors and prostitutes and blue-collar fishermen and even the sick. Jesus made it his practice to hang out with the disenfranchised, with the lost and the hurting, with those who are at the bottom of the spiritual, educated, socioeconomic sort of food chain. But if you were religious, if you belonged to the spiritual, educated elite, you see, you wouldn't hang out with the sinners. You wouldn't hang out with the people who sat in, not business class, but the where you and I sit, right? They, they wouldn't hang out because if you hung out with sinners, it made you clean. And so when Jesus, unclean, and so when Jesus arrived on the scene and he started breaking all of these sociological and religious taboos, in so doing, now don't miss this, Jesus demonstrated this truth that everyone has value. Jesus really reemphasized in message and the way he lived that everybody is special. Now, brothers and sisters, hear me on this. In God's, God's eyes, you have value. In God, our Heavenly Father's eyes, you are special. And maybe some of you need to hear that message today and be reminded of that truth. When God looks at you and when he looks at me, he sees someone with tremendous value. When God looks at you and when he looks at me, he recognizes someone who is special. So turn to your neighbor and say, you are special. You are special. Brothers and sisters, did you know that when you declare your faith in Jesus, when you ask Jesus to forgive your sins and be the Lord of your life, did you know that you become a part of a special club? 
Look at the Bible verse that I put at the top of your program, and it comes from the book of Galatians chapter 3. Now I want you to know, going from the get-go, that the same person who just wrote in these verses that women should be silent, and we're going to come back to that, also wrote this, what we're talking about here in Galatians chapter 3. So don't get upset with me, ladies, just yet, okay, or men. This is what he writes. Paul writes, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. I want you to underline or put a box around that last phrase, for we are all one, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Friends, one of the key messages of Christianity, one of the key truths that the Bible teaches is that in Jesus we were all equal. Write that down. In Jesus we are all equal. In Jesus we are all gifted. And in Jesus we all have roles to steward. In Jesus we are all equal, meaning we're all in the same playing field. In Jesus, we're all gifted, which means we all have something to contribute. And in Jesus, we all have roles to steward. Now turn in your Bibles, just back a couple of books to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And look at verse 12. We're going to read a few verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. The Apostle Paul was writing this too. And this is what he says. The human body has many parts. So think about your own body. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? Go to verse 19. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye, cannot, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Verse 27. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Friends, in Jesus, we are all equal. In Jesus, according to these verses, we are all gifted. And in Jesus, Paul teaches that we all have roles to steward. Okay? So now go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to think for a minute about the context of the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is a letter that the Apostle Paul, who was one of the early church leaders, I mentioned this already, he's writing to this young pastor to try to give him some some input, some coaching, some mentoring as to how to lead this group of people who he's overseeing. We know that this is 1 Timothy, and we know that there's a 2 Timothy, so that we know that Paul wrote how many letters to Timothy? Two, right? And this is the first of, of those letters. And in verse 8, Paul coaches Timothy 
that in the church, when the Christians gather together for worship, men are to pray with holy hands lifted up. Guys, do you do that, by the way? And to be free from anger and controversy. Translation, this is the translation. When you and I are a part of a church family, you need to consider each other as equals. One person is not better than the other. One person is not more important than the other. Rather, we are all, help me out, equals. And so when we gather together for worship, we should do so with a spirit of unity. Spiritual maturity is demonstrated in unity. So explain this to me then. Why does Paul write here and instruct Timothy to have women be silent? Why does Paul suggest that women listen and learn quietly? Now think about this. If Paul wrote the book of Galatians, which is the verses that we read at the top of our program... If he wrote that we're all one in Christ Jesus, why does he encourage Timothy to tell women to be silent here? Is Paul contradicting himself? Have we found a mistake here in the Bible? Now somewhere in the margin of your notes, I want you to write down this phrase. Function, maybe at the bottom of your notes, function does not equal superiority. Function does not equal superiority. I shared already how in Jesus' day, women were largely uneducated. And so when men and women would put their faith in Jesus and they started to gather together, much like we are doing here today, when a pastor would get up to preach, when Timothy would get up to preach, much like I'm doing here today, when he would teach something new to largely his women listeners, because remember, they didn't have the privilege of going to school, when the pastor would preach, many of the women likely leaned over to their husband or to their companion who they were with, and they would simply ask them this question, what does he mean by that? Explain that to me. Now think about this. When you're in a room full of people like we are here today, if everyone started to whisper to their neighbor and started to ask questions about what the speaker is teaching, do you think that that would become a little distracting? Let me give you a modern-day example of that. With a show of hands, how many of you like going to the movies? Robin and I just went and saw Star Wars the other night. It was a great movie. In fact, there's a theater here in town. If you're 55 or older, you can go for like six bucks. It's the best thing ever. You know, when you sit in a movie theater, inevitably, inevitably before the show starts, on the screen, you will... Have you all been to the movie theater? Okay. Probably causing some of you to sin if you haven't. But if you've ever been to a movie theater, they'll, they'll start usually the show out with all these trailers, right? And there's, there's, there's these ads that they promote, like popcorn and soda and get you, you know, create you salivating and all these things. But inevitably, there will be some kind of announcement asking the viewers to do what with their cell phones? To silence them, right? To put them away, right? Why? 
Because no one wants to shell out some hard-earned money to watch a movie on the big screen only to have the people sitting around them texting or talking on the phone or scrolling through their Instagram and their Facebook feed. Why? Because such an action, it's distracting. The light is disrupted, especially in a dark theater. And if someone is talking next to you or texting to their friends, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I have. And personally, that's irritating to me. Cell phones in movie theaters are no bueno, see? So hear me clearly on this. Hear me very clearly. The Apostle Paul, who is coaching Timothy here, is not anti-women. Rather, I suggest that Paul is pro-women. Because Paul writes here in verse 11, he's encouraging them to, to learn. Paul's encouraging them to listen to the teaching of the Scriptures and grow. Paul is not a male chauvinist. Rather, Paul is simply asking the ladies, don't miss this, to silence their cell phone. To watch and listen. And then to go home or maybe out to eat and discuss with their husband or their friends or their family what the preacher was talking about. And many of you do that every Sunday, don't you? You roast the pastor. Can you believe what Mike said today? What do you think he meant by that? And maybe I'll do some roasting today. I don't know. Friends, Paul wasn't sexist in his, in, his, in his instruction for women to be silent and for women not to teach men. I, simply, he was, I think he simply asked, as he did in many of his letters to the early church, that when people meet and they gather and they worship together as Christians, that they are to do so with a measure of order, with a measure of sobriety. And exhibit the kind of attitude that spiritual matures, mature Christians exhibit. It requires humility. Spiritual maturity is demonstrated in unity and humility. Now listen to me on this. Every healthy team practices mutual submission. Every healthy team practices mutual submission. You know, Kirk, Kirk, I help Kirk and I'll joke a lot of times and say, you know, we're the head of the household. We do everything our wives tell us. You know. Good marriages require mutual submission. Do you not agree? My point. I want you to think for a moment about the game of football, okay? Now, for some of you, you're going to be thinking about football, the kind of game that you kick with your feet. Others of you uh, think about the game that you throw with your hands. But in either case, think about the game of football, okay? Now, on the football team, in both cases, the teams are made up of 11 players, usually, right? And in the game of football, the kind that you throw with your hand, the positions, and there are some positions that are, are similar, but on, on the game that you play, play with your hand, there you have the quarterback, and you have the center, and you have the running backs, and you have the wide receivers, and you have the linemen, and get this, everybody has a role to fulfill, yes? 
And then on defense, you've got the linebackers and the quarterbacks, cornerbacks, and the defensive ends and the defensive linemen and the safety and the nose guard. I suppose in the in soccer, football with the feet, you've got the keeper, right? And everybody has a role to fulfill, yes? Then you have a head coach, and you've got assistant coaches, and you've got a general manager, and you've got an owner, and you've got busloads of employees at every level, and there are trainers, and everybody has an assignment to fulfill, yes? Successful organizations, winning franchises are compiled of, listen to this, teammates who know their job, and they do it with skill and selflessness. And nobody is more important than the other. Every person has value. Every person has ability. Function does not equal superiority. Friends, just because I'm the lead communicator here at Palm Harvest Church does not make me more important than you. In Jesus, we are all equal. In Jesus, we all have value. In Jesus, we all have roles to play. Thankful Brenda can play the drums. If I played the drums, it would be terrible. I can't play. How many of you cannot play the drums? Let's thank the Lord for our drummers. You know? We all have roles to play. Now write this phrase down in the margin again at the bottom of your notes. Unity, not uniformity. Unity, not uniformity. I want you to just take a moment. I want you to look around at the people sitting around. Really, take a good look at, just kind of gander around and look at everybody. Look really closely. Now, if you look at the people sitting around you, question, are we all the same or are we different? We're different. How many of you think we're different? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're different. You are really different. We have different, we're different ages, Different hair color. Some of you have no hair. Some of you have black hair. Some of you have white hair. Different eye color if you really look closely. Some of us have different skin color. Some of us are tall. Some of us are short. Some of us are skinny. Some of us are not so skinny. We all have different tastes. We all have different interests. In fact, with a show of hands, how many of you like sushi? How many of you do not like sushi? And how many of you who like sushi think where the rest of us are weird? I do not like sushi. Please do not take me out for sushi. Some of you cheer for the Lakers. Some of you cheer for the Clippers. And some of you really sick people cheer for the Spurs. Some of you love the Green Bay Packers. Others of you today are cheering for the 49ers. Rob and Denise are going to be fighting today on the TV. Some of you are morning people. Some of you are late-nighters. You get my point, friends. We are all different. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are different. Now, friends, remember, the church is what? The church is people. The church is not a building. The church is not a roof. The church is not a campus. The church is, say it with me, people. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. And as the church, Paul tells Timothy, he coaches you and me, that we are to strive for unity, not uniformity. And with God's help, we can. 
So I think that the Apostle Paul is instructing Timothy and all of us here that in the church, we are to work together. And we must be willing to learn from each other. And sometimes that means we sit in quietness. Sometimes that means we go out and we get some solicitation and say, what did he mean by that? But spiritual maturity, as we see here here in this book, is demonstrated in unity and humility. Unity happens when you say, you know what, I don't really agree with you on that point. Let's, Let's flesh something out here. Humility is the ability to listen to somebody, to seek to understand before trying to have your own opinion understood. And so one of the ways that you can grow this year, one of the ways that you can strive for spiritual growth and development in your own life is take the log out of your eye, right? And strive to be teachable from everybody. And strive to live in humility. So we're going to close our time with two prayers, very simple prayers. And so I just invite you to put everything down for a second. I always invite you to encourage you to open your hands, palms upward. It's just a simple way of humility it again. And pray this first prayer in your heart. Just say, Jesus, please help me this year to be teachable. Jesus, please help me this year to be teachable. Please grow my capacity to listen to others so that I might learn from them. And then second prayer is, Jesus, please help me this year to be a unifier. Please grow my capacity to bring people together. And forgive me when I stir things up. Jesus, please help me this year to be a unifier. Church, let's close with this. Look at me. Spiritual maturity is demonstrated with unity and humility. And with God's help, these qualities can be and will be developed in your life this year if you want it. Do you want it? Do you want it? I want it. And I pray that you do too. Let me close with one final prayer. Lord, help us as a church family to grow this year, to be willing to learn from each other, to recognize that we all have different gifts and different perspectives and different talents and different experiences. God, some of us can drum, and some of us can play guitars, and some of us can talk, and some of us can move chairs, and some of us can set up donuts and coffee, and some of us can teach the Bible, and others of us can open our homes for one another, and some of us can make caramel rolls and drop them off at the local fire department. Lord, we all have gifts. We all have abilities. We all have a capacity. Some of us can work with children in ways that working with adults scares us to pieces. Lord, help us as a church this year to grow as a family, to be teachable, 
And when the differences rise up, give us the courage to say, you know what, what do you mean by that? Lord, when we don't understand what somebody, help us not to just walk away frustrated or angry, but help us as a church to treat each other with respect and say, what do you mean by that? What am I missing? God, help me this year to be teachable. And so, Lord, I just thank you for as we leave this place today and as we go into our workplaces and we go into the various circles of influence this week. I pray that as we leave here that you would empower us to be unifiers that brings people together. I pray, God, that you will empower us to be people who are humble and that in that people will see Jesus. And that in that witness, God, people will say, what do you got that I don't have? I want that. And then we'll be able to point them to your son, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, pour out your favor upon everyone here today and those watching online. Bless us, empower us, strengthen us, grow us, we pray in the name of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.